there is balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my words in Discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Psalm 6, ESV. Well, hello and welcome back. It's been a little bit since we've uh, been back on the airwaves, but here we are getting back in the saddle here in 2020. 2020. And we are ready to uh, talk more about worship this year. Brian, what do we got coming up this week? All right, well, uh, this week... Um, there was a, an interesting story that kind of unfolded uh, during the, the Christmas holiday, and I wanted to talk about it, um, and I wanted to kind of get into the theology behind it uh, just briefly. And um, after that, we're going to jump into our main topic, which is kind of a piggyback off of uh, the last episode where we talked about the, the five types of music. I wanted to go in deep and answer one of the questions, uh, one of the, the answers to the question, what makes the barrier between type one and type two music? Um, so first, uh, I want to talk about this, uh, the story that unfolded, uh, it, it hit home to me personally, uh, when, when I read this in the, in Adam Ford's newsletter, uh, there was a two year old daughter, of a Bethel church worship leader that, uh, died unexpectedly. And, uh, and that alone you know, drew my attention, um, having had a daughter pass myself, but the story really unfolds in, in a very sad way. Um, the church and the leaders and many of the, um, many of the the members of, of this church 
were pulled together to try to resurrect this girl. Um, Whoa. So, like, actually raise this little girl from the dead? Is that, I mean, that's what we're talking about here? Yes, yes. They, for a solid week, they uh, they gather to pray to try to resurrect her from the dead. And, uh, and Adam even said that uh, when, when, when he posted his article, uh, people kind of got mad at him and said, you know, what, you don't believe that God could raise someone from the dead? And uh, his response was really good, and we'll get to that full response in a little bit. But essentially, it isn't that they prayed that God would raise her from the dead. It is how they prayed that God would raise her from the dead. Um, I'm going to read a few of the the quotes that some of the people in the church actually kind of published. And uh, and you can find this this full newsletter write-up in, in our show notes. And, yeah, absolutely. We'll link and, to that. And that write-up, like that link, will take you to the newsletter, which actually has further links that you can follow to investigate this further. But um, these are just some of the quotes that people in the church actually uh, were recorded as saying. It says, Jesus is faithful and true. He is riding in with the victory he bought for Olive. Uh, Another is, we call on the mighty, all-sufficient name of Jesus— and uh, we call you back by name, sweet girl. You will live. Uh, come out of the gr- of that grave in Jesus' name. Um, she's going to breathe. She's going to live. I know. Day four is a really good day for resurrection. Her time is not done, and it is our time to believe boldly and with confidence uh, wield what King Jesus paid for. It's time for her to come to life. Um, we have a biblical precedent. Jesus raised the dead. And day five is really a good day for resurrection. Um, these these uh, quotes, they aren't, they aren't biblical. And when, when Jesus prayed, he said, you know, your will be done. He, when he taught us to pray, he said, pray, your will be done. Instead, what these prayers are doing is they are invoking their will upon God. They are saying, she is going to live. I know it. And so it is time for her to come out now. And uh, you know what Adam Ford uh, said, um, he said the theological disaster in this case was not that people were asking God to bring a two-year-old back to life. Uh, the issue is the way in which they were asking, or more accurately, demanding and or declaring, and the false theological claims that employed in doing so. See, nothing wrong with someone praying for God to bring back a dearly loved one who just died unexpectedly. But there is a whole lot wrong with publicly declaring that God is going to bring back your deceased loved ones. Essentially, he says, this is, um, it's putting promises in God's mouth, it is basically saying God has promised this, and because God always keeps his promises, uh, God will do this. And, uh, and so, one, that is it's misrepresenting who God is. Uh, it, and that is a, uh, it's, it's a violation of the third commandment. Um, it also paints a picture to the world that God does not keep his promises, which, again, breaks the third commandment. Uh, kind of from right. the other side of the coin. It it wasn't God making that promise right. that all you got to do is believe hard enough and I'm at your whim and will. 
uh, no, it instead they they completely they missed a couple of things. First of all, I would yeah. uh, want to point out is you're right. They did they missed the sovereignty of God, and Adam Ford also pointed that out uh, pretty well. I thought they also missed God's providence. They completely missed that uh, God was had given this little girl life. He had also taken that life. And I'm reminded of Job when his wife comes to him after all this horrible stuff has happened and says, you know, curse God and die. Uh, And it says in Job 2 verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And the uh, narrator of the story says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So I I think there's two grievous errors there. One, that they were trying to actually take the place of God and instead of uh, asking God how they can conform to his will, they're actually asking God to conform to their will. Right. But the second part is, too, that they... Um, believe that somehow they should only receive good from God yeah. and also not, but not receive those evil things, those things that uh, are, you know, bad and things like that. Now, am I saying, uh, I want to be careful here because I'm not trying to say, oh yeah, boy, we should thank God that he, um, he took this little girl's life. Not at all. Yeah. But not uh, failing to recognize that God is, you know, the author of all, I guess it's another way of looking at God's sovereignty, but you know, that's, that's God's providence too. And they completely missed it. Um, which I think is just kind of like a double shame almost. Oh, it is. Yeah, it it absolutely is. I mean, what's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, my perspective, having you know gone through you know, something very similar, I mean, you you've you've heard it. Should I take the sun without the frost, or see your throne without the cross? That was what my that's, that's how my heart responded. Uh, you know, taking that that saying from Job, um, and you know, it's it's not how it's supposed to be like that is kind of a mantra that that my wife and i have said you know it's not this is not how it's supposed to be this is a product of sin it is part of the curse you know and the day that you eat of it you will surely die you know grace is that they didn't die that day but justice is we all die um but i can tell that from my personal grieving i'm grieving very differently than they're grieving they're grieving like the lost grieve they're grieving like those who have no hope their only hope that they are displaying is that god is going to do something miraculous they are Mm. not hoping in the hereafter and and that's that's something that's also very telling um Mm. I, i had a i had a co-worker um that she was very well-meaning and, and I believe all of these people are well-meaning, but well-meaning is not, you know, well-meaning is not always the best, but she would say, Oh, your daughter is already healed. And, and she told me that often. And I am, I am very thankful that I have a strong faith 
because if I'd had a weak faith, that would just, that would be poison. Um, that well-meaning, you know, that, the kind of well-meaning slap on the back is it's a knife being driven in, you know, your daughter's already healed. She wasn't, she died. And, um, and her claim was empty. And I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I'm glad that my faith was able to just ignore that. Um, but I have hope that I will see Kit again. And that, and that hope, you know, leads me to grieve in such a different way. Yeah. Um, I have a, a friend here who, uh, he, um, he was part of Jehovah's Witness for a while, got out of that and fell into a faith healing church. And so his first, uh, church he went to as a new Christian straight out of the Jehovah's Witness was a faith healing church where the pastor ended up getting, I believe the story goes, he injured his leg, um, got an infection, did not seek any medical attention, but tried to pray over it. Uh, the infection turned to gangrene and he did not seek any medical attention, but prayed over it and he died. And his church gathered around him and prayed over him for a week or so, trying to raise him from the dead to no avail. And, uh, and that was, I think that he'd said he'd already gotten out of the church by that point in time, but he was still in contact with many of the people there. But, but this is this event, like this little girl, they're not one-off events. These are events that are happening. These are, these are things that are being done in Jesus name that are, um, that really are a disgrace that they are not honoring Jesus name. They are, um, they are taking his name in vain when they, in, when they try to place their will upon, upon God. Uh, and, and two, this, while the, the, the church where my friend went was a podunk small church, this church with a little girl, that's Bethel Redding. You know, that's, uh, a major, major church, not just, not just a church that, has a little bit of influence. They are one of the four churches and ministries that are pumping out, um, like almost 90% of the music that that church is seeing. There are four major churches that are pumping out almost all of the music that most churches sing. And that is, uh, Bethel Redding, Hillsong, um, Elevation Church Elevation. and yeah. Passion Passion, yeah. Um, I mean, if you think of, you know, you think of Christian Stanfield, you think of, of Chris Tomlin, you know, you, you think of Hillsong. Hillsong has Hillsong, Worship Hillsong, United Hillsong, Young and Free. You know, they're all in the same network. And um, they all believe the same stuff. But when you think of these churches, what they are writing in their music, this is the backbone. Um when they say, you know, we believe in you, God, they don't believe in God the way I believe in God. You know, they don't, they may not even believe the same God. They're believing a God that they're making up, that they are instilling promises in a God that doesn't keep his promises, a a God that's not as good as my God. And, uh, and so many of the songs written to him don't, don't add up. And, uh, and so that's, 
main reason why I wanted to talk about this particular story uh, is just to, to give a warning that, you know, there are churches out there writing music and they're not writing to the same God. I mean, if a song was written to Allah and you changed it to God, does that make it good? If a, if a Mormon wrote a song to his God and it fits just fine, like there's nothing really wrong with it, can we still sing it? I mean, those are, those are serious questions. Um, it's kind of the question group number seven that I'm on the fence with the, uh, who, who wrote the song and what do they believe? Um, and, and I kind of, I think where I'm going to land on that is a don't ask, don't tell. If I listen to a song and it's fine and I, and I don't really know anything about the songwriter, I'm not going to just investigate. But when I know who wrote the song, when I know that what they believe is uh, severe heterodoxy or flat-out heresy, I, I can't bring myself to sing their music with a clear conscience. And, and I think that that is, um, you know, that, that's, I, I think, a good place to be. Well, that's a great way to wrap uh, this first segment up, unless you had anything else to say. But I'd really like to get into asking about what is liturgy. And if you're ready, yeah, let's uh, jump to the main topic. Let's jump to the main topic. All right. Um, so what is liturgy? I don't, I didn't, you know, think ahead enough to write down like an actual definition of what liturgy is by someone you know, famous like Merriam-Webster oh, oh, or whatnot, hold or on. Google. Um, we will find something. Um, but in, in general, and while you're looking that up, in general, liturgy is, you know, the way that our, our worship services are uh, constructed. Uh, every church has a liturgy, whether they say they do or they don't. Um, you know, a contemporary church, their liturgy might be um, cold start song, then pastor comes up, then uh, slow song. You know, they, they do this something similar every day. In fact, uh, and now I'm thinking about it, I'll have to look this up. There's a funny video that some church made where they, uh, where they mock the contemporary church liturgy uh, with like songs like, this is the fun song, the song that we do at the beginning of the service. And then the guy comes up and then like an Asian guy comes up and says, and I have my arms stretched out showing the tattoos. So, you know, I've got a past it's, a, <laughs> it's great. I, I, or I'll have to find that and link it, but it's, but that's, you know, that's a very common liturgy uh, in, in contemporary uh, church services. Uh, most people, when they think of liturgy, they think of like this high worship where there's an organ and people in robes and standing and sitting. And, and that's also liturgy and, uh, or reading a passage from the old Testament, reading a passage from the new Testament. That's, that's a, a form of liturgy. Um, and, uh, many churches have been a part of have very defined liturgies and the church where I'm a part of now does as well. They have, we have a very defined liturgy and, and I, I personally like liturgy because I think that it really ministers to the truth side of spirit and truth. Um, I think it's very easy to get caught up in the spirit side during like a music heavy uh, worship service, but adding that liturgy where you're also regularly bringing in prayer and scripture reading and, um, and really directed 
uh, uh, progress through the worship service helps you to keep a, a level head and helps you to um, to engage in truth as well as in spirit. So uh, did you find any cool definitions? I did, actually. Uh, Liturgy by Merriam-Webster. I mean, this is straight out of the normal dictionary. And it says, a rite or body of rites prescribed for public worship. And that that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, several rites or, uh, as we might say, rituals um, that are performed uh, in a worship service. A customary repertoire of ideas, phrases, or observances. Um, you think about the liturgical calendar that the mm-hmm. Catholics might have or other high church type places would would have a, a liturgical calendar. So uh, there's a particular area of uh, each year uh, that's designated mm-hmm. as a, a focus on a different uh, type of um uh, type of worship. So you have, you, you have, uh, you know, during the Lenten season, you have the Lenten yeah, time. Got, uh, we Advent. just got out of Advent. And yes. This, this Sunday is, uh, is Epiphany? Time. Is that? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And so, the yeah. Six... Um, yeah. So we have Epiphany, uh, which falls into place this week. And in fact, the, the 12 days of Christmas, Start mm-hmm. on December twenty fifth and go on for twelve days. Uh, we right. we don't give each other foul, but um, <laughs> but that is part of the liturgical calendar. Uh, it goes through. Um, it, it, there's some kind of weird stuff all thrown in there, but then we get into uh, Lent, and then um, and then Easter, and then uh, Pentecost. And then, yeah, sometime after that is ordinary time. So, you know, there's just different things yeah. that the church does. There's also, um, like, the, the I forget the, the, the full name of it, but there's, like, the book that goes over three years where... Uh, oh, the Book of Common Prayer? The Book of Common... Uh, maybe Book of Common Prayer. I think it might be some... That might be it. Uh, we can your A, B, it. and C? Yeah, your A, B, and C. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's a reading of. for every week? Yeah, there's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and... A, and epistle so i think something, something like, like that. that yeah so um we both said something like that at the same time it was pretty amazing um so yeah so there's just different things that you can do for high liturgy um and then there's i guess you would call it low liturgy or contemporary liturgy where it's it's more about um i'd say it's more about the flow of the service uh, and a lot of that is, can get very charismatic. So very uh, trying to not, I'm not going to say manipulate the manipulate the emotions though. Those words have come out of my mouth. So do with them what you will. Um, but they try to speak to the emotions. They try to guide the emotions. Uh, whereas very high liturgy almost tries to abandon the emotions and only guide the mind. I, I think you need to do both. I think we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. We need to guide the mind. We need to guide the the spirit and the emotions. Um, we don't need to manipulate anything, mind or emotion. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Um, there are some very specific uh, parts of liturgy that I've seen in many churches. I, I have a list of, I don't know how many it is. It's like, it's about 15. Um, 
items of uh, just different things I've either seen or done or uh, can think of doing. Um, you'll see that I, I have some very familiar words in there. Uh, but these are just, this is a, uh, it is an, it's a non-inerrant list of topics and it's right. not taken from the Bible. This is taken from, I'd say this is taken from tradition in a lot of ways. However, you can see all of these in the Bible. So the Bible does not give a list of, uh, 15 items you must have in a worship service. The, the Bible doesn't really help us, uh, specifically design a worship service. And, and I think this is done. I believe this is done so that every culture can do a worship service without, without you know becoming a first century middle eastern you know culture uh we can figure out a way that we can do it that we can speak to our culture and um and i, and I believe that there's a, that a lot of silence in the new testament allows for that specifically right and we should stop and say too mm-hmm. that uh different denominations have different ways of understanding liturgy um some you know some denomination or non-denominational churches may even not even say they have a liturgy, right? Uh, but yet everybody has some sort mm-hmm. of liturgy, right? Yeah. Everybody, you know, whether that's, hey, we're going to stand up and sing four songs and now we're going to sit down and we're going to have announcements and now we're going to do an offering and now we're going to do um, a a of uh, a promo video time you know we have this promo video time and then we have a a sermon where you are expected to sit there and and listen and then we will stand up for one more song and then there's dismissal you know every there there's a float every service right and that so there's a liturgy whether whether you you know want to admit it or very not. thoughtful and it's designed or whether it's regulated by scripture or whether it is uh, regulated by, you know, a normative principle. Right. Uh, in any case, it still exists. That's all I wanted to point out. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and I completely agree with you on that. And so I just wanted to go through um, this list of just different things that I came up with. And again, this is non-exhaustive uh, and this is non-prescriptive. The, Everything that is in this list, you can find in the Psalms. You can find, mm-hmm. you, you can, you can get Psalms to fit every one of these categories. So I, I didn't, I'm not, I'm trying not to make stuff up in this. I'm just trying to, um, you know, just get something down on paper, but there, there's a, there's a point to this and, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but first I'm just going to go through this, uh, call to worship. That's very common at the beginning of, uh, beginning of a worship service, you know, you know, the, either the pastor will get up or you'll have a cold start song or, um, you know, there might be a time of meditation before the time of the call to worship. But a lot of times the call to worship will involve, um, either a song, a prayer or a scripture reading. Uh, our church always does a scripture reading for their call to worship. And I think it's, I think it's good to start the worship service with, uh, reading from the Bible because that's what we do at church. But, um, well, and we're told to, we're told so. to, yes. But, um, you know, 
and so that's kind of call to worship. You can have a call to worship song after it, and it's this is a song that is going to call the church to worship. It's going to st- say things like, you know, let us praise Him, let us worship, you know, let us come, let us worship and bow down, you know, things like that. You know, these these are songs that are intentionally calling the church to worship. Um, another would be a song of adoration. This would be more of, you know, a praise song, you know, a song that, that praises God for who he is. Um, and there's, and that's very vague and a lot of songs can praise God for who he is. And it's important that we are actually praising God for who he is and not some made up reason, but that for all intents and purposes, that's a different conversation. Um, but song of adoration, praising God for who he is and and for what he has done. Um, Confession of sin. Um, I think it's very important to have a confession of sin and an assurance of pardon. Um, That's something that we do at our church every week where we have a public confession of sin um, followed by an assurance of pardon. And it's not an assurance of pardon given from one person to another saying, you are forgiven of your sins, but it is definitely clearly stated you know, if you are his, you are forgiven and you don't, and your sin that you confessed is already forgiven. And it's important that we hear that audibly. Um, I was at a church once where during the time of Lent, we kind of swapped out our confession of sin and assurance of pardon with a confession of lament and an assurance of comfort. Um, and that was, uh, I, I thought that was really good to, to kind of, um, do that every once in a while. Uh, we, we should be confessing our sin and believing in our pardon regularly anyway. Um, but kind of taking a season and doing the confession of lament and, uh, an assurance of comfort, you know, confessing that we are sad. We are sad because we live in a broken world. We are sad because things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And ultimately that is because of sin. And you can have a confession of sin in that as well. But the assurance of comfort, I mean, if you read Second Corinthians, I mean, that opening is just a fantastic assurance of comfort. Um, and so that's something that, that we need often. Um, profession of faith, this was something that we would do at, at a old church as well, where we would, uh, we would recite a creed or we would um, go over some catechism questions just kind of reminding the church of of what we um, of what we believe, and I would say songs like "By Faith" by Keith and Chris and Getty really fall into this particular category as well. Or um, you know, songs that pull very heavily from scripture, or songs that pull very heavily from the Apostles' Creed, things like that. Uh, In Christ Alone, I'd say it, was, it would be another really good one for that as well. Um, Offering of Thanksgiving. Um, I, I think it's good if you're doing an offering to have a song like Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated as the song for the offering to get you into the actual spirit of sacrifice and of, and of offering. Um, and songs like that are, are really helpful. Um, song of Supplication. This, this, would be, this would be like a prayer, you know, asking God for, for things. Um, you can do this through prayer or you can do it through a song that represents a prayer as well. Uh, preparation of the word and preparation of the table. Those would be songs done right before the sermon or, or during um, the communion as the plate is being passed or as 
people are walking up to the front, however your church does communion. By the way, I'm a big fan of weekly communion. I'm just Hey, throwing, me too, man. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, huge with, fan. With real wine. With and, real wine. Um, yes. And leaven free bread. Yes. I'm okay with gluten. I uh I am as well. It it is amazing what that does. I mean, like we are given the sacraments, it does something to us as well as communicating once again the the truth yeah. of um God uh, of God's pouring out of uh, himself uh, through Jesus. Uh, Jesus pouring out himself for us. And um it's important to be reminded of that weekly, I believe. I, I agree. Uh, I, had a, I had a pastor once say, um, if I was planning our last service ever, if I knew that this next week was going to be our last week, that we were closing our doors after that, I'd have communion. So why not have communion every week? Oddly enough, they were doing communion once a month. But um, <laughs> um, that was, yeah. Anyway... Um, song of commission, uh, would just be like a send them out type song, you know, go grab your water pistol and attack hell. Um, you know, those kind of songs. Uh, Oh, is, is that what, uh, is that what you sing in your church? No, we don't. Okay. Um, that's a, and, uh, song of benediction. Uh, a lot of times we will also do. Uh, like one of the songs that we do to end the service very regularly is we will feast in the house of Zion. So like a song yeah. of, of looking forward. I didn't write that down cause I, I don't think I could think of a good way to, to do it, but um, you know, a song of, of um, just looking forward to the end uh, and just looking forward to be with Jesus. But um, you know, there's, there's lots of different types of songs. I think each one of those that, that I that I mentioned um, are songs that I've seen, songs that I have done, you know, songs that I think maybe like the preparation of the word or preparation of the table. Those might be hard to find in. Well, there's definitely some the psalms about Passover, um, and there's definitely a few songs about uh, psalms about uh, the word. Um, I can think of one off the top of my head. It's quite long. Is that Psalm in the hundreds somewhere? Yeah, after after eighteen one eighteen, I think it's before one twenty. But um Okay, okay, okay. I think I know where you're at. Yes. So that one. So you know, there there's lots of there's lots of songs that uh you know lots and lots of psalms that fit each one of these as well. Um the main reason why I want to talk about these is, you know, I said that one of the questions, or the the big question of, um, you know, what makes the difference between type one and type two songs. We, we talked about this a lot in our last episode. Uh, I said intention. Intention uh-huh. is, is a big thing. You know, what if a song is intended to be a type two song, but it's sung in church, uh, what makes that acceptable? Like, um, when is that okay? And I think the main reason when that's okay is if it can fit into the liturgy. If you are, um, if you are adding a song into your worship service solely because 
I know it and it's on the radio and everyone knows it. We can sing to it and, and it does not fit into one of these or one of these categories or another category that is equally justifiable. Um, then it is a type two song and it does not need to be uh, sung in church. And, um, also, as I mentioned earlier, if the song is a song of adoration, but not necessarily of the God in the Bible, then it's not a type one song. It's, and it's not actually a song of adoration to God. Um, you know, we, we talked about, um, hard love. Hard love mm-hmm. is not a, it is not a song of adoration to, <laughs> to the God that I worship. And so it, that song doesn't need to be played in churches. Uh, another song that we talked about before would be priceless. Priceless is not a song of adoration to God. It is a song of encouragement to his sister. And, uh, and so it, it, it should not be done that way. And, Something else that I think is important, uh, and, and I want to do an episode on this later, mm-hmm. but songs that are from God's perspective, mm-hmm. um, I, I I don't think that those can really ever be type one songs. Um, and it, unless it is uh, directly quoting scripture. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I wanna I wanna say that I believe some of the psalms are written. I found maybe one. not from God's perspective, but yeah, it was it was one of those like definitely I, I, pretty close. I did research on it, and I've got it written down on a different document that I don't have pulled up. Um, where there is a psalm where like the first third of it is from my perspective, and then it says, "But you say," and then the rest of it is in God's. Um, is in God's voice. However, the Psalms were written by God. And so if God wanted to speak through these Psalms uh, directly to us, he can use that vehicle. But when I am trying to write a song and I am, and I am imagining what God is saying, then that is just all sorts of room for, um, for, it, it it leaves the door wide open for, for heresy because you're putting words in God's mouth. So unless the words mm. you're putting in God's mouth are really, really, really close paraphrase of words he actually said, um, then, you know, it's, you're going to, you can get yourself in, into trouble really, really, really quick. And, um, and I think that's one of the, one of the faults of, of the song, um, testify by need to breathe. Um, it's, it's in the mouth of God and it says some really weird stuff. And so using the voice of God and saying weird things is basically saying these weird things I'm saying are true because God is saying them. And that's, that's, that's a standard that I don't encourage anyone to try to pick up. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's another thing. None of these, list none of these on the list are you know um are comfort from god the assurance of comfort is not an assurance of comfort from god the assurance of pardon is not an assurance of pardon from god it is um from man 
and uh, that that can be really confusing. And and I don't want to parse hairs, and I'm sure that people are going to call me out on saying that because the assurance of pardon is from God. Only God can pardon. But you know, it's it's a man saying, you know, if you are God's, you are pardoned. So it's a it. it, it I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to start a fight. So don't. So don't. <laughs> Don't at me, bro. Don't don't at me, bro. Um, yeah, but none of these are God saying you are pardoned or you are comforted. It is it is very those are very different situations. But there's nothing on the list about about that. There's also, um, you know, there's there are songs that are sung that are um, that are adoration. But that mm. don't really, that don't ever tell who they're adoring. Um, there's a there's a song called "Raise a Hallelujah" um, from it's comes out of Bethel as well. But that song never mentions who is raising Hallelujah to ever. Like in the song, it, it says "you." It says, um, I think it says to the king. Or the king will rise, or something like that. Uh, so it has some really, really vague uh, directing to God, but it but it never mentions God at all. It just it talks about um, what I am doing, and it's very much a me focused song. Like, listen to me, I am right. raising my hallelujah. I'm going to sing loud. It, I'm going to yeah, sing in the presence of my loud. enemies. Yeah. <laughs> louder than the unbelief yeah uh, um, there, my weapon is a melody yeah and, and, I, and then of course heaven comes to fight for me yeah uh yeah there's, there's a whole lot in that song and and i will I'm, I'm planning on doing an episode solely on this song in the future and so wait for it uh um, so we'll, Ooh, they also mention ashes and up from the ashes which i know yeah, is they one of do. your favorite is, the phoenix motif the phoenix motif yes absolutely i'm not going to quote the bible but I will quote Greek mythology. Um, yes. Uh, Death defeated the king is alive. Is yeah, about that was the it. That's about it. Yeah. They get. That is, that's, that's the closest they get. It's, it's a it's super popular song. Uh, it, it was, I don't know if it hit number one on billboard, but I know it got close. Um, it was, that was during a time where I think uh, Lauren Daigle was on billboard for over 63 weeks. And so she overthrew oceans last year. That was a, she that, was did. a that was a big thing. And I, I never mentioned that. And so I'm going back and mentioning that now, um, <laughs> by the way, by the way, it is a new year. It, it is. is. It is a new decade. It is. And very soon there will be data published by CCLI and by billboard about the top songs of the decade. And I look forward to looking through all that data. Oh, I do too. That'll be fun. And look for that in an upcoming look, show. Look for that. That's probably going to be a few. We're going to do like a special segment where we go weekly, where every other week we're just going to talk about data. And you're going to love <laughs> it. You're going to love it. So anyway, um, you know, those are just some, those, those are some things that I really want to talk about. There's also a, a list that I read in a previous episode. This is, uh, this comes from uh, John MacArthur study Bible where he talks about the different categories of Psalms and, th- and there's other lists that other theologians have made that are all really, yeah. really similar. So this is, this is, I got Tremper Longman, the thirds. So I think I read that one on, yeah. uh, on that particular episode. And, and it was 
still really similar. So this is just a, again, this is not exhaustive. This is not inspired. Um, mm. But these are some, some categories of Psalms, individual and communal lament. And communal is a very important word. Um, we, we lament. It's not just I. And also we praise you, not just I. Jesus died for us, not just me. Communal is a very important word that gets ignored in today's music. But that, again, sorry, rabbit trail. Individual and communal lament, expressing our need for God's deliverance. Thanksgiving, being made aware of God's blessing. Enthronement, describing God's sovereign rule. Pilgrimage, establishing a mood of worship. Uh, Royal, portraying Christ as the sovereign ruler. Wisdom, instructing us to do what God's will is imprecatory invoking God's wrath and judgment against his enemies. So the, you know, the individual communal lament that, that could be, you know, the, uh, the confession of sin or the confession of lament, uh, in the categories I listed earlier, Thanksgiving could be the offertory could also just be, um, you know, that, that can fall into the adoration as well. Um, enthronement can also, be adoration uh, as well as um i mean as well as the uh, assurance of pardon you know just different different things can can fall into that pilgrimage could be called a worship it could also be preparation of the word or um, profession of faith uh royal as well could be many of those i mean so all of these they intermingle. There's no real one-to-one relation with any of these, but you know, you can kind of see how these different categories of Psalms fit into a liturgy. And, and the, the Jews had a liturgy as well. And this liturgy is uh, very detailed and is written in full in the first, uh, and really the, 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 books two, three, four, and five in the Bible. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are chock full of what God prescribed as uh, the liturgy uh, of the, the, um, of the tabernacle worship as well as the the future, the temple worship. And uh, much of that has gone away because Christ came to die once and for all. So that much of that liturgy uh, that pointed to Christ uh, has now been fulfilled. And so now we have kind of morphed our liturgy to point back to what Christ has done and to the future of what he will do. And, um, and so when we read through those, uh, those books, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we can see where Christ is in that liturgy and we can kind of learn and figure out how to turn that into what our liturgy is today. And that's where a lot of these come from. That's where a lot of the tradition of first century and, and new Testament worship comes from is, is from reading and applying what has been fulfilled and how can we still keep that spirit alive? Even if uh, much of it is, is, has been fulfilled. Yeah, no. Uh, so why should we even sing the Psalms to God? Maybe a question that is on our dear listeners' minds. And I guess to answer that, 
we're we're told in um in, in throughout the psalms like throughout these different types of psalms that we are to sing these songs to god these were the hebrew yeah. people's way of expressing um their their whole selves to god yeah. right and so we even see in psalm 22 22 mm-hmm. uh, which is also uh cited there in hebrews well uh it, it says in hebrews two twelve though uh, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Mm-hmm. So there it's that, you know, that it's good to sing these hymns to Jesus. And um, we're not singing them alone either. It's that we're to do this in that context of worship. Yeah. And I believe uh, it was Ed Clowney. Um, I'm hearing about that. The second hand through Trimper, Trimper Longman's book, How to Read the Psalms. But talking about that passage specifically, saying that not only are we to sing these hymns to Jesus, but Jesus is singing those uh, psalms along with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, specifically. And so I think that's another important uh, thing to remember as we're working through these different pieces of the liturgy and especially thinking about how uh, various parts of the Psalms relate to that liturgy yeah. and maybe even establish some of that liturgy. Absolutely. Um, but that it's, it's, it, these are to be done within the context of the entire uh, church community. And it's not just like, this isn't something that we just do on our own or, right. um, or, or whatnot. Anyway. And, and also, I, just, I do want to point out that, you know, while every church does have a liturgy, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, I, I really encourage anyone who plans worship services to have an established and to have a direct liturgy. Um, I think it's very important because it can it does help direct the truth. It does help to to keep our minds focused on, on what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, um, and because this is seen in the Psalms, because this is seen in the, uh, you know, the ancient Jewish cultures and the tabernacle and in the temple. And, and because, you know, we know that God has prescribed order. And, um, and, and I think that that's, I, I think it's incredibly important. And so, if you are a worship leader and you do not do that, I'd, I strongly urge you to consider doing that. Okay. Uh, also, just throwing this out there. Oh, we, go ahead. We're not even at an hour yet, so this is so we got we got time to to ramble if you want. <laughs> well, I'd rather not ramble too much, but <laughs> I did want to bring up this particular article, and I just sent it to you through the uh, through the chat in mm-hmm. Google. Okay. Um, but it's Kevin DeYoung, and he kind of is making an argument what you were just saying about having an established liturgy and actually thinking about it. Um, You know, kind of the way that a general church today sort of falls into, you know, you got your coffee time Mm -hmm. and then you have casual welcome and announcements or standing up for, you know, four to five songs as people kind of trickle in and then during the set or at the very end, maybe add a short prayer 
Um, and then there's a sermon and a closing song and a dismissal. Thank y'all for coming. See you next week. You yeah. know, and he is uh, saying like, Hey, you know, we might want to think about the default settings here, you know, <laughs> what, what would, and pointing towards kind of what we're talking about here, where should, we, shouldn't we have a specific time for reading the scriptures yeah. uh, as the Bible is instructed? Um, shouldn't we have a congregational prayer time where I know they do this at your church. Um, they don't do it at uh, either of the churches that we attend um, or in many other, uh, especially uh, larger churches that are more kind of that, that, evangelifish evangelical kind of general kind of feel to it um just because you know you have a lot of people how do you do that but at yeah. the same time if the church is a family we're all part of a body right mm -hmm. um we should be praying for each other i mean uh in it, it it commands us to in scripture yeah um that we ought to pray for one another and the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. Those are important um, pieces of the service that, again, um, Kevin Young here is saying, you know, we do need to be thinking about this stuff. And wouldn't it be better to have a, a better starting point than it would be to, um, than it would be to fall into kind of the, the general of new evangelical uh, liturgy is what he terms it. Yeah. Um, and for our EP friends, uh, he does even mention uh, the singing of Psalms mm -hmm. uh, as well, uh, which I know excited David very much when he said that in Spirit and Truth. But this article is from still need like, to watch what, that. seven years ago. Yeah, I need, I, I need to find it and get it. It was not available on Apple okay. uh, when I looked for it. Calvinist was, but not Spirit and Truth, which I was confused by, so... By the way, for those who don't know what Calvinist and Spirit and Truth are, these are uh, these are uh, documentaries uh, produced by uh, more or less Landsphere. More, yeah, less Landsphere. He was the uh, he was one of the hosts of the Reformed Pubcast, uh, also the creator of the Facebook group, the Reformed Pub. Which, if you don't know what that is. I don't know if I should tell you to go there or not. No. Like it's, <laughs> it's hard. I've been a part of it before. I'm no longer because it's just, it's, oh. it's a behemoth. But um, if you, I am a part of it and it is, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it was a lot of fun. It's, go for the memes and please be on the side of pineapple on pizza. But, um, <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, um, Calvinist was his first documentary and it's, and it's about, um, it's really about the young restless and reformed movement and kind of what, where that's going and where it kind of came from and just some history stuff. Um, and spirit and truth, this is new one just came out. It's about, um, it's about the regulative principle of worship, which this is something that I would like to do. I would like to watch this movie. I think that we should watch it. Um, it'd be great if we could try to like watch it while on Skype or something and talk about oh, what's cool. going on. And then, okay. uh, and then, do an episode, a special episode about that sometime soon. Anyway, um, anything more to say about liturgy? Um, you know, I, I don't have too much more to say about liturgy itself. Um, 
I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I do encourage churches to implement liturgy, at least to implement, to, to think through how they're arranging songs and, and why they're picking songs the way they are, other than just kind of why, uh, you know, whether they know the song on the radio or whatnot. But, um, you know, it is uh, important that we all uh, do sing. And uh, that's kind of the theme of, you know, the, this kind of cluster of episodes is singing. And uh, the liturgy should really direct and encourage the, the church to sing. And uh, yeah. so with that, I'll just say, you know, for a thousand tongues to sing the glory of my God the King. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin sick soul. To never feel discouraged, Jesus is your listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.